0: Hello, everyone. Simon Jacobson here, and I will be speaking about something I'd rather not speak about. But, as they say, as difficult as it is to speak, it's even more difficult to be silent. And the topic is the worst and best in humans' reactions to the Poway shooting, which took place this past Shabbat, the last day of Passover, in Poway, California, outside of San Diego where a mad, I wouldn't say mad, a, a evil terrorist entered into a synagogue, Chabad Labavitch of Poway, and uh, with intentions to do mass murder, ended up murdering one woman, wounding the rabbi and others, and we are left asking questions yet again. So this program is dedicated in loving memory of the dear soul that was ripped away from us, Lori Gilbert K who died sanctifying God's name, as I said, the last day of Passover, last Saturday. I also want to dedicate it in the loving memory of Rivka Batleia, um, who passed away on the 20th of Nisan, the sixth day of Passover. And my heart goes out to her dear husband Seymour and her son Alan and their entire family. May this class as well be a tribute and merit to her. So, what can we say? We always faced with tragedies like this. We're left stunned, we're left silenced. It's actually the word used in the story in this week's chapter when the children of Aaron died by an alien foreign fire, sanctifying God's name. So it says, Aaron was silent. When the angels and Moses came crying to God, how can you allow? the vicious and brutal killing of the ten martyrs that we read about and pray about on Yom Kippur, God said against silence. And interestingly, silence is the most powerful response because any type of reasonable answer, any type of explanation would actually be obscene, would be inappropriate, would be cruel to explain away an unfathomable tragedy. So we begin with silence. We are, we are quiet, humbled. We don't know God's mysterious ways. We're also in great shock, and our hearts are shattered as they go out to the, father, to the husband and the daughter of Lori, who so eloquently spoke about her at the funeral service, which again was broadcast to so many people. So we've seen the worst of man at work yet again. And all good people wonder, and are mystified, are completely perplexed when it comes to seeing a seemingly regular person, quote-unquote, planning and premeditating a deliberate, cold-blooded murder of innocent people, let alone in a house of worship, in a place that people have come, men, women, and children, to pray, to celebrate their holiday what is going on in the twisted mind and the dark heart of such cruelty and hatred is beyond us so as our hearts go out into this tra- as our hearts go out to the people who have suffered and the survivors and the community and of course rabbi goldstein himself rabbi Yisrael goldstein who was targeted but put up his arms and he lost his finger or maybe fingers and covered in blood, he went to save his community. At the same time that we've seen the ugliest in the human beings, we've also seen the best of human beings. In the nobility, in the heroism. Lori herself took a shot and was killed, most likely protecting her own community. I don't say most likely, Absolutely, protecting our own community. And Rabbi Goldstein, what did he demonstrate? Most people would lament the loss of their fingers, would cry out in anger, in frustration, and rightfully so, against terrorism, against anti Semitism, against the cruelty perpetrated here. And what did we witness in this past week? We witnessed a man covered in blood, his fingers were bleeding, and a gunman loose. He wrapped it in a prayer shawl and went around looking for the children and the congregants to get them out of the building. And literally from his hospital bed and then the funeral service. What is his message? He videoed a message for all to hear, for all to read, literally reaching millions of people, if not more. What's the message? Instead of focusing on himself and his suffering and his pain, focusing on how we must transform this tragedy into something of goodness and kindness, increasing in light and goodness and kindness. Instead of bemoaning the situation, he cried, I'm Yisrael Chai, and writes, I will be for more brazen than ever about my Jewishness. A terrorist wanted to bring me down because I'm Jewish. We will not be brought down. We will be even stronger. I'll be hoarse in my mouth, and go out and cry out to all Jews to come to synagogues, to light Shabbos candles, to put on tefillin, to celebrate their Jewishness. I will do everything possible to bring light to the world and recognize the mandate and the calling for which we were created was to illuminate the universe with goodness and kindness. Here's a man, he could have waited a week, two weeks, we'd all understand him suffering, seeing the death literally before his eyes of one of his dear congregants, a person who supported and was a partner with him in building that community. And yet, what did he do? He actually sanctified God's name in the greatest possible way. So there you have a study in contrast. One man behaving subhuman, for no reason but being there Jewish, in his blind hatred, went out and thanked God that the, 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 his, uh, his uh, rifle jammed. Machine gun, whatever it was, is automatic, jammed. But he did end up killing someone, causing tremendous pain to so many. And at the other end of the spectrum, in contrast, we see such a transcendent soul getting up and calling us all to transform this grief into a revolution of goodness and kindness and light. So millions if not billions of people are witnessing this. I think it's a tremendous lesson, especially in our society, where we've become so apathetic, where we're so consumed and so living vicariously through video games, through movies, through internet, through television, to see raw heroism, raw nobility, raw dignity so demonstrated and so publicly demonstrated. It was awesome to see. Here's a funeral service. A woman is being put to rest. Her husband talks about the parallel to the chapter of the sons of Aaron, how they sanctified God's name. And here is dear wife, torn away from us, sanctified God's name in a synagogue on the last day of Passover. Of course, we can sit and cry. How could it be that God allowed such a thing to happen? Obviously, we all have questions. But that's not what we focus on, not the why. We focus on what we can do about it. How many people today get self-consumed with their own pain, with their own suffering, with their own discomfort, due to setback, due to failure, and it becomes all about you? I'm not looking to judge anybody. But here's a lesson, a lesson of dignity, a lesson of a person who's not less in pain, but recognizes, as he declared very straightforwardly, as an emissary of his Rebbe, a shliach, of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, embodying the very principles that a true leader like the Rebbe, like a Moses, inculcated in him and taught him that when there's suffering, when there's a loss, when there's a tragedy, we respond with even greater passion and commitment to goodness. That's how we counterbalance it. They tell the story, tragic story, but extremely meaningful story of a Nazi, cruel Nazi, who was about to kill a Jew. And the Jew asked the Nazi, may I say my final prayers? The Nazi granted his request, and he began whispering. And the Nazi said, what are you saying? He's saying, I'm thanking my God. The Nazi became, the vicious Nazi, became incredulous. You're thanking your God? Where's your God? You're at my mercy, dirty Jew. Your God can do anything to help you. And the Jew quietly responded, I'm thanking God for not creating me like you. You hear that? There are people who respond pain with pain. They've been transgressed, they've been violated, they've been hurt, they've been abused, they've been murdered, and they want vengeance. They're angry. And you hear all over the world, people justifying certain people who've been displaced, refugees. They're angry. But what, the Jews have no right to be angry? Of course we were angry after the Holocaust. And we're still angry. But there's taking anger in a healthy way of channeling it into what? Into building. Our ultimate vengeance is not blowing up cafes in Berlin and Germany. And not taking vengeance on our enemies. We allow God to do that. Our vengeance is the photo albums of our children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. That's what every Holocaust survivor will tell you. Sarah so Rabbi Goldstein, in that great spirit, demonstrated this right before our very eyes. In a complacent age, in a materialistic age, in an age where people are so consumed with their own entertainment and their own desires and their own pleasures, we have a wake-up call. We'd rather didn't it didn't happen, than we wouldn't need this wake-up call. But once it has... Look, who, look what has risen. An individual who points his finger, lost index finger, his bandaged fingers, and he says, this finger reminds me of my father's finger when he would teach us a song and would point with his index finger that Hashem, God, is everywhere. God is here. He would point up, God is there. God is everywhere. Up, up, down, down, right, right, left, left. And all around, God is omnipresence. And he writes in his classic op-ed, powerful op-ed, my index finger that I used to point to the omnipresence of God has now been taken from me. But I will always remember, and I want every one of you to remember, to use your fingers to find transcendence, to find a higher reality, to not succumb to our own pain or our own losses. Can you imagine? As I said, most people would lament the loss of a finger and talk about how much pain they had and get on television. And you bring up pundits who would talk about what psychological damage it may do. And here's a man while bleeding and while bandaged is immediately discussing how our fingers and our arms and our legs and our beings should be used for fulfilling a greater calling. And in contrast, the subhuman behavior of an animal, literally, ready to kill and killing innocent people. So what is our ultimate response? Our ultimate response is this, yes, we are silenced, we are shocked and angry. We do everything possible to eradicate such evil, including better security, doing everything possible to make sure arms, firearms do not end up in people like these hands. nipping in the bud and fighting every possible type of discrimination and racism, zero tolerance on all dimensions. But the long term, and ultimately the preventive medicine, is not only that we thank God that not creating us like them, but we also do everything possible to create a world that will not harbor any longer such pain, and such darkness. By what? By embracing the ultimate message that all human beings are created equal, all created in the divine image, all have that right and majesty and dignity, as the founders wrote in the Declaration of Independence, to pursue happiness and freedom and liberty and freedom of religion and expression. And e pluribus unum, we're diverse from the many, one, but we are one. Harmony within diversity. To teach that message, to infuse it in our children, into our adults, in our education systems, in our schools, in our homes, in our institutions, our corporations, and workplaces, that leaders, wherever they may be, community leaders, business leaders, educators, teachers, clergy, lay people, whoever, should be emphasizing and re-embracing this message literally on a daily basis. And even our entertainment industry, and Hollywood, and television, and our producers of, of our video games, What greater way to celebrate our freedom and our gifts and our blessings is to use them to do what? To promulgate, to disseminate, to celebrate the divine image in which we were all created. You'll say, how is that consistent? A video game talks about killing and murdering and simulating all that. All that sells on television and in Hollywood as entertainment. Well, maybe the time has come to lift the discourse to raise the bar, and higher our standards. I'm not going to point fingers at who is to blame. Perhaps it's a collective blame, and all these factors. But let's talk on the positive end. All of us are responsible to heighten the standard, and to start talking about the dignity of life. Will that prevent every type of crazy murderer? And Again, when I say crazy, I don't mean crazy as insane, and it's off the hook. I mean, crazy behavior, behavior that's not human. I don't know if it will prevent it all. But the more we talk about the dignity of life, the more likely it is that a child will not grow up seeing life as negligible, being able to lift up a weapon to hurt another individual. To teach our children from the youngest age that life is not just about self-absorbed pleasures. It's not just about self-interest and me, me, me. We have a higher, account, an account, a higher accountability to a higher ca- calling, to a higher authority, to a higher morality. And that can be demanded from everybody. Not just demanded, it's a gift and it's bipartisan and it's politically correct. We're not preaching any religion. We're not preaching any particular denomination. We're talking about a non-parochial and completely non-partisan, I said, calling to us all. And it's actually the foundation of this country. The secret to the success, the enduring success of this nation is its call that all men are created equal. This was not a given before this country was founded. Monarchs ruled. The church ruled. Individual despots or dictators or fascists, whatever you want to call them, ruled. Here's the first institutionalized government that declared that there's no such thing as one person is better than another that one person is superior or closer to God than another. Not the monarch, not the leader, not the religious leader, no one. We're all created equal. And we all have an inalienable rights granted to us by our Creator. The founding fathers, though they were not necessarily of the religious sort, but they nevertheless, and they understood the separation of church and state, Yet, they understood the importance of dictating that the only way, the absolute guarantee that we're all equal is that we're created equal. Not just born. Not just are equal. Because none of us are the creator. We're all equal in the eyes of the creator. This is a message that can be taught to every person every second of the day. And it should be taught. Is the opening of the Bible. Human being, male and female created them in the divine image. That means we're all a piece of the divine. Can you hurt a piece of the divine? And especially knowing it's part of you, because we're all part of one larger family, why is that message not known to every person on earth? This is now our opportunity. And again, Rabbi Goldstein demonstrated it in the most noble, beautiful way. You can marvel, it's unbelievable. Within his pain, with all that he's gone through, and his community has gone through, he understands his calling and his message. But if you study his teacher and his teacher's teacher, and the community, and the the philosophy of the movement from where he grew up, which is Chabad Hasidic thought, you'll see this is not a surprise at all. That's exactly what he was taught every second of his life. The preciousness of every individual, the mission that all of us are sent to this earth to transform the world from a jungle into a garden to reveal the inherent and fundamental goodness in each human being this is what he was taught this is what he fed on this is the oxygen in which he grew up I also grew up in that environment that's how I know people like the Rebbe, Lubavitcher Rebbe who was my teacher who I worked for memorizing hours and hours verbatim of his talks publishing his talks later writing toward a meaningful life based on not his wisdom, on his wisdom as it's filtered for 90 generations from the time of Moses. And his teacher before him, the Rebbe before him, and the Rebbes before them, all demonstrated the same attitude. Facing horrible situations. Facing the abyss. Facing literally extinction. But like the moon, reborn again. Using adversary. Adversary. Liability to become an asset using every dark force to become a fuel for greatness. There's no such thing as a negative that was not faced by even a greater good. That was the attitude. That we are never victims, that we're not products of pain or suffering. We may suffer, but we don't become sufferers. Because then you perpetuate the suffering, then you've lost, you've surrendered. So things can be done to you, but that doesn't define you and does not shape you. And on the contrary, what shapes you? You make the call. Not the people who have perpetrated atrocities against you. You're never their victim. Thank you, God, for creating me not like you. You control your destiny because your response to evil is to be even a better person, to embrace even more goodness and kindness, and to spread even more light. And a little light dispels darkness. Their darkness, as powerful as it is in the moment, dies at some point. Whereas light and is eternal and enduring. And this has been consistently the story of the Jewish people from the beginning of time, starting with Abraham, going through all the generations, and many, many difficult generations. It was always the same attitude. Loss, tragedy, disaster, catastrophe, you name it, genocide, atrocities. Always the response was a greater strength, a greater strength and commitment to light. Now, if you look at it at the surface level like a scientist, it sounds irrational. You're being shot at. You're being killed. Your children, innocent children, are being massacred. And what are you doing? You're becoming a better person. Where's your anger? Where's your blood boiling for vengeance? It's all there. We're not living in illusion. We're channeling that energy, because it's all negative energy, toward what? Toward what we believe in. And they will not control the narrative our enemies. They will not control the story. We will control the story and demonstrate for generations to come that when we're faced with those type of situations, we turned it into holidays, into celebrations, to becoming better people. Who gave us Passover? Pharaoh. Who gave us Purim? Haman. Who gave us Hanukkah? Antiochus. All arch enemies, Hitlers of their time, with their people trying to instigate, like we said in the Haggadah, the first and second night of Passover, the Seder. In every generation, they come to try to annihilate us. But God, in His mercy, helped save us. And part of that is our saving ourselves with God's help by embracing the soul, the divine soul, which we were given, which is more powerful than the greatest darkness. So the momentary pain for 210 years was a terrible pain. It was for, how many years was the the Holocaust? 10 years, 15 years, whatever their number was. Terrible pain. But what remains is the growth, the greatness that we've achieved as a result. As they were oppressed, the Bible says, as they were oppressed in direct proportion to that, they flourished, they thrived, and they blossomed, and they grew. This is our story. And it's not just a Jewish story, it's a a story of humanity. It's a story of human triumph, of good over evil, of light over dark, of beauty over ugliness. There's the worst in mankind. Yes, we have free will and people can stoop to levels that are unimaginable. And we've seen it happen, unfortunately, too often. But we can also rise and become even greater than angels. Because we have a soul. And it really comes down to this. Who will prevail? Will the soul prevail? The soul prevail? Or will selfish body and animalistic desires prevail? Now, of course, people ask the question, look, we see the suffering over history. But at the end of the story, has the world become a better place? Absolutely. Today, humanitarian values, charity, kindness, is the standard. Not all live up to it. But nation after nation embraces these values. Individuals, we have much work to do. But once upon a time, there was no such institutionalized embracing of such values. It didn't exist. There was the Jewish people and their Torah, and that was it. And then there were individuals, and sometimes communities, that also embraced such values. But to become a mainstream value, a nation like the United States, based on these values, that's really a phenomenon that's only a few centuries old. So who prevailed? the single Abraham or the pagan neighbors who wanted to kill him? Because he stood up against them and said, no, it's not all about me. There's a higher purpose. We're here to serve something greater than ourselves. So slowly, slowly, that message permeated and ultimately impacted society. And today that is the standard. And there's outrage when we see people defile that standard. There may be a hypocritical outrage because some people do that all the time, but institutionally, governmentally, anyone discriminated against, anyone hurt can be can go and prosecute and call to justice those that have hurt them. I'm not suggesting it's a perfect world. I'm not suggesting, look, what happened here. It's far from perfect. But the standards have been lifted, and we are in a place where we can say today that that message, that value system, that Abraham instituted or pioneered, and later became formalized in the mandate we received at Sinai, just 49 days after leaving Egypt, 50 days, has become part and parcel of our society today. So if you think of the trends, then it can only get better. So what do we have to do? We have to be like a Rabbi Goldstein. We have to look at our fingers and our arms and legs at our health and the gifts given to us, our lives. And not be complacent. What are you doing with your fingers? What are you doing with your arms and legs? What are you doing with your mouth, with your ears, with your eyes? Are you indeed sanctifying a higher calling? That's the question each each one of us has to ask. Why we require tragedy to wake us up like this? It's one of the mysteries. But we cannot allow a tragedy to just pass You know, time will pass, wounds will be healed, some will remember, some will forget, but we should never become complacent again. We have a battle on our hands, and we don't have to wait for a tragedy to happen. There are people in this earth that are either ignorant, or misguided, or distorted, or brainwashed, with hatred, with discrimination, with violence, with anger, We need to eradicate that by fighting it with everything we have, by bringing positive energy into our schools, into their schools. And bringing that message, and not tolerating a message of hatred and violence and death. And we can do it. You'll say, I'm I'm naive. Are you really going to eradicate racism? Are you going to eradicate anti-Semitism? It's all up to us. We each have our sphere of influence. We each have people we can reach. Some of us may be leaders, some of us can reach leaders. Whatever leader, it could be a small leader, a community, of a school, of a home. But to stand as as a bystander and as a spectator, as an observer, is definitely not acceptable. You're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And how do we become part of the solution? We do something. We speak about it. We speak to our children about it, to our friends, to our families, to colleagues, to strangers. And we turn it into a crusade, into a revolution of good. Everyone can do something. You say, what, "What can one person do?" Speak to someone at work about this tomorrow. What does it mean to be a human being? A human being. What is dignity? Is it all about me, 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 or is there something greater to life? And then bring us an example: this cruel, br- brutal murderer, and Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein. Here you have the best and the worst of human beings. A lesson in contrast. A lesson for each one of us. Something we cannot ignore and should not ignore. It's a tremendous opportunity to turn this tragedy into actually a force of real goodness. And only that will justify, uh, maybe I should, let me rephrase that. Not justify a death. But only that will do justice. That we have not ignored what has happened and actually used it as a catalyst and a springboard to catapult us to a completely new dimension, a new state of consciousness, a higher state of awareness of what it means to be human, of what it means to be alive, the gifts of life and why we are here, and the purpose of our lives. Now, this does not take away from our pleasures and from our delights and from our comforts. It will enhance it, but also will not allow us to fall to the lowest common denominator and just become ruthless, selfish creatures To just think about myself and don't care about anybody else, ready to even ignore or, worse, hurt another person. It's a standard that has entered society, has, has been imbued within our existence, within our world today, but we have to now bring it to the surface in every community, in every environment. Yes, it would be wonderful to see, just like we saw different companies who produce perhaps destructive products, ultimate come around and become advocates for health? That those that create violent games and entertainment that celebrates violence and guns and so on would come out and make it very clear that we are here to spend money and to advocate the divine image in which we are all created. Just like cigarettes say, hazardous to your health, why should these companies, and these entities, willingly, we're not even talking about forcing them, let them come out, it'll be better business, To come out for the human dignity that we are. they, they, They clearly don't want that people should actually go ahead and shoot another person. So perhaps they have to use their strength and their wealth and their power and their influence for these messages. We know today there's public TV, there's public access TV. Why? Because the government wisely said, You're going to make a lot of money, millions and millions and billions of dollars through television advertising. You have to give some airtime to public access, meaning anyone can use it, nonprofits and so on. So why shouldn't the companies that are making so much money on simulated violence and so on, and different forms of entertainment, let them also spend money and fund programs that advocate and teach about human dignity, about the value of life, about our calling and our purpose. Let that be the calling of our time. That's how I see the events that happened in Poway and the events that happened earlier in Pittsburgh six months ago to the day and other shootings that we've seen in schools, in college campuses, and anywhere, malls. They all lead to the same conclusion. What are we going to do? So gun control and security and all the temporary measures or the Band-Aids, absolutely, do everything possible they're not allowed to happen to protect our young, to teach people how to protect houses of worship and other places where, are, that are targets for terrorists. But above all, let's change the whole climate. Let's elevate the spirit. That's what this is a calling for. And we live in a time where it's not difficult to do. We have the means, we have the platforms, we have the social media environments where we can advocate and teach and premier, and disseminate this message to many, many people, quickly, easily. We have the means. And we have a receptivity because we're not living in a, in a tyrannical world. We're living in a world where people value and honor these standards, as I said earlier. We live in a world, as the Rebbe told us and told Rabbi Goldstein, who was one of his disciples and emissaries, we're at the threshold of a new age of peace and harmony and no war and no famine and no bloodshed. And not miraculously. We're not waiting for a miracle. It can be done naturally because the standard is there. Now we need to make sure and call everyone out on it. Whether it's the Middle East, whether it's the United States, any type of hatred, bigotry, discrimination, racism, anti-Semitism. Call out and demand that we live up to our mandate, to our calling, to our very beings that we were created in the divine image in order to create from this material world a divine garden. This is just some of the powerful messages we've seen this past week. Obviously there's more to say. But let's suffice with that. It's enough to go with. As I said, use your arms and legs, your fingers. Here's a man who can no longer use that index finger. And yet, it will continue to be a reminder to him. And he will not forget And he's reminding us to use our fingers for what we should use them. To use our arms, our legs, the rest of us. It's a tremendous lesson. And it's ultimately living up to what we're made to be. To be the best we can be. Not to succumb to who we think we are, but to become how great we can become. Who we aspire to be, who we dream to be. And every one of us has aspirations. Sadly, there are people who have been hurt, who have been abused, who have been distorted, who have been violated, who have been brainwashed, who have been programmed and conditioned to think in negative terms, they're insecure, fearful, see their enemy everywhere, scapegoat people, blame people, whether it's anti-Semitism or other forms of racism. So people like that, obviously if they perpetrate a crime, they deserve to be prosecuted in the fullest sense. But before they do, if we see such a misfit, or we see such a downtrodden soul, we see someone who is not fitting in, or is not, who is a malcontent, we have to reach out with kindness and compassion, and educate and teach. You never know, when you're kind to someone, how you can prevent something from happening. Not being naive here. Obviously, if someone is exhibiting signs of violence and anger, they may need to be curbed. In a very direct way. But we have to keep our eyes open. So it could be our children. It could be our families. It could be r- strangers. To look for people like this and bring them in in some way. To teach them what you really are like. You can be secure about yourself because you're creating the divine image. Someone else's divine image doesn't take away from yours. If a person has that attitude, would there be racism? Would there be anti-Semitism? All created by God equally. So we have our work cut out for us. And we have this tragedy to remind us. One we'd rather not have had. Unwanted wake-up call. But it is a wake-up call. That's some of the reactions of how we should look at something. The best of the humans, the worst of the humans. To choose the best. To choose the angel within. As Michelangelo said when they asked him, how do you carve those beautiful angels in the marble? How do you sculpt them? And he said, he replied, I see the angels trapped in the marble and I carved and carved and set them free. We don't have to find angels elsewhere. We don't have to acquire them. We don't have to purchase them. They're right here inside of you. Everybody has that. You have a soul a divine, created in the divine image. It's a matter of being trapped. It's trapped in marble, in concrete, in other substances, in propaganda, in a faulty education, in an abusive life. And so many different forces in our in in this world today that have trapped your soul within you, your angel within you. What do we need to do? We need to carve. We need to get rid of the excess, and the angel should emerge. And that's doable with every human being. Now, some people have crossed the line and they need to be put away. They need to be imprisoned because they're dangerous to others. So their angel is so trapped that you can't just carve. They may need rehabilitation, they may need punishment deterrence but even they have an angel we believe in that again this doesn't mean that we're just naive and, uh, and liberal about their punishment everyone if they're in danger, they're danger to others we need to address that but the angel is within and we're all born with it and we have to make sure to cultivate it to nurture it let it emerge and let it allow us to soar to the greatest possible heights of majesty, of dignity, of nobility that a human being is capable of. A human becoming divine. Not just as great a human you can be, you become actually divine. The divine image in which you were created. What happened when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge? God says, Ayeko, where are you? And the question is asked, what do you mean? God doesn't know where he is. Adam was hiding. He was hiding in shame. Well, the response that Rabbi Schneider Zalman of the Adi gave to the minister what God was asking him, the eternal question that every human being is asked. Where are you? Not physically. Where's your spirit? Where's your mind? Where's your heart? You can be sitting with someone across right before them, but they space out. You say, where are you? Not because you don't see where they're sitting there. Their mind and their heart and their spirit is not with you. God did not recognize Adam anymore. You were created in the divine image. You were created with the power and the ability to sublimate and elevate and refine the entire world. And what have you done? You've succumbed to your base instincts, and you ate from the tree of knowledge I told you not to eat from. And with that, you've clouded. You have been trapped in substances that don't allow me to see your divine image, that don't allow others to see the divine image. They say that animals will not attack a human being. The sage is right, because they see the divine image and they respect it, they're in awe. We see animals do attack human beings. Because the image is concealed. When Daniel was in the den of lions, in the lion's den, as they call it, the lions left him alone. It wasn't a miracle because they saw the divine image and they have a respect for it. So we need to allow the divine image to emerge again from wherever it's trapped and locked. And that's up to each one of us, how you behave. Behave divinely and your divine image is fed and nourished and what happens, it emerges. You're giving it attention, you're nourishing And you're nurturing it. God forbid, I don't want to say the other side. When you satisfy and nurture your own self and your self-interest, your divine image goes into hiding, in concealment. The inner child is concealed by this adult personality that you've assumed. And that's what you're projecting, the faces, the duplicity, all the other things that human beings do, the defense mechanisms, the armor, everything we do to conceal who we truly are. When you reveal your divine image, it is the secret to healthy relationships, it is the secret to healthy communities, it is the secret to love, and it is the secret to transcend even the darkest of dark. Viktor Frankl, logotherapy, man search, man search for meaning. He verified, he confirmed his theories. We're in the darkest places on earth, in the hell of Auschwitz, the concentration camp in the gas chambers when he witnessed how people who sense meaning in their lives and purpose don't suffer less, but they have more tools in their arsenal to address it. They have the ability to transcend, because they have more than one reality, not just the physical superficial reality, but also the spiritual reality and all the dimensions of a spiritual reality. They They have not just one world, they have many worlds. And there are others who only have one world, this material world. Take that away from them and everything is gone. They don't have all the other diversification of all the other dimensions that life offers us. And that's our calling, my friends. The events in Poway is a wake-up call to our time, to each one of us. And we have a living example of a human being just like us. But he was trained. So it wasn't he didn't have to put on an act, God forbid. The moment that it happened, he immediately took action and became a force of saving others, of demonstrating strength, of crying out, Am Yisrael Chai, the nation of Israel lives, we will not be brought down by a criminal like this, though though that criminal wielded the gun. So we have a living example in our own lives. And Lori, her soul was taken from us. It's in a better place, but nevertheless, a life ripped away in such a tragic way, so we have an obligation to her to state to do whatever is possible to celebrate our Judaism, to celebrate our synagogues, to come out in Mass and demonstrate that we will not cower, we will not be fearful, we will not retreat. We will go on even a greater offensive of bringing goodness and kindness as Lori did in her lifetime. And through that, she lives through us. May her family be blessed with the strength with the ability to celebrate, and may we all join together with that, feel like we're partners in the pain, but also partners in the growth, and and demonstrate what we need to do to rise to the occasion and to be the best possible human beings and the best possible Jews, ones that will bring light to this world and the redemption, the final redemption, which will ultimately in some way redeem even the greatest pain that we've gone through, especially that it becomes the catalyst, the fuel for this tremendous revelation and tremendous spiritual revolution. So each of us must do our part to ask yourself the question, what are you doing with your body, with your soul, with your life, with your arms and legs, with your fingers? How are you sanctifying God? How are you bringing light to yourself, to your families, to your community, even to strangers? That's the question we must ask. And of course, the answer has to be here's the list of things I will be doing. This we have to bring our own resolutions, impose it on yourself. No one's going to force you. That's our response. May these words inspire me, inspire you to actually be part of this revolution. Please join us, Meaningful Life Center. This is our commitment week after week. This week, We are taken and we are motivated by these events. But you can join us by simply going to MeaningfulLife.com, sharing this message. We have many resources dealing with tragedy, how to turn adversity into growth, liability into an asset. And please, suggest any suggestions of yours, submit them, join with us. We're all part of one, one larger organism, all links in the chain, and we can all create that ripple effect and butterfly effect that will transform this universe. We're here every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. These programs are archived. You can access them anytime. Download them, podcasts, mp3s, the works. It's on all social media outlets, so you can friend us and share and like and all that comes with that. And of course, we always welcome Your support on all levels, moral support, spiritual support, and financial support at MeaningfulLife.com, slash donate or slash sponsorship to sponsor a program or a series of programs in honor of a loved one, in memory of a loved one. Everyone be well. We should only share good news and only joy and celebration and transform every corner of darkness into tremendous amounts of light. Be blessed.